When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Blaze Radio Network. And now, Chewing the Fat with Jeff Fisher. Hello. Hi. It's so good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. You look so good. You look great. You look like you've really been taking care of yourself. It's so good to see you. I mean that. Hey, did you hear about Mississippi? Yeah, the great state of Mississippi. Am I crooked letter, crooked letter I, crooked letter, crooked letter I, humpback, humpback I state? Yeah, a lot of people don't think about the great state of Mississippi, Austin, uh, often, but it is a beautiful state. And I want to congratulate them because they uh, led the nation in liquor sales since the onset of the pandemic. Congratulations! <laughs> Uh, They've reportedly purchased more than 400,000 more cases of alcohol during the pandemic, keeping uh, the liquor stores uh, pretty busy trying to uh, meet demand, even uh, leading to delays in shipments to liquor stores from uh, ABC's warehouse. Uh, The Mississippi Department of Revenue that oversees alcohol beverage control, which distributes alcohol throughout the state, said that in the fiscal year 2019, ABC delivered more than 3.3 million cases of liquor and wine. And in 2020, it rose to over 3.7 million cases of liquor and wine. So congratulations. And in the fiscal year of 2021, more than 4.1 million cases were distributed. So it's continuing to rise Year after year after year, congratulations to Mississippi. You, you are number one. Welcome, (laughs) welcome to Chewing the Fat. So I see the headline, 1,400 dolphins slaughtered horrifying animal rights activists. And my first thought in my head, and this is, you know, again, me, Jeff Fisher, chewing the fat. I'm thinking, good, let's put them in tuna and be done with it. And that's, you know, the joke in my head. And then I realized, wow, they're just going to this place, wherever it is, is going to get killed for killing. And, you know, I'm sure the animal rights activists actually do wish these people would get killed for killing 1,400 dolphins. Then I read about what it's all about. Okay, so... Off the coast of Denmark is the Faroe Islands, all right? And they have a thing called the grind every year, all right? And in this, it's, they, they refer to it as the grind. It's called grinderap or grindadrap, G-R-I-N-D-A-D-R-A-P. And the boats from the island, these boaters, drive dolphins into the shallow water by the shore, and then they hop out and kill them with knives. And, and they do that every year. Now, you, you know, obviously the footage shows the water turning red and the dolphins are thrashing and it's a, you know, for, for animal rights activists, it's gotta be a horrific 
scene. And, you know, it is. But they do this every year because they cut them up and give them to the locals to eat. It's food for the locals. And it's part of their cultural identity. Oh, so it should be kind of a good thing. And the Faroe government said that roughly 600 pilot whales are hunted every year with uh, the numbers of white-sided dolphins being far lower, reporting only 35 in 2020. So I thought, uh, you know, with climate change that everything was getting less and less, but no. I mean, they haven't killed over 1,000 dolphins since 1940 when they killed 1,200. Now, so this year they killed 1,400. Wow. So, I mean, they're all, oh, this is horrible. It's the deadliest hunt on record. Well, seems to me, once again, the climate change activists are wrong. Species are thriving. So, okay, say what you want. But they actually provide food for the people on the island. So it's not like they're just killing them for the fun of it and, you know, dancing on them in the water. They're using it for good and to support our species, which is, uh, you know, the best thing to do is to support the human species. But of course, in today's world, uh, they've got to use excuses and find excuses. The chairman of the Whalers Association there on the island said it was a big mistake. Uh, When the pod was found, they estimated it to be only 200 dolphins. And I didn't participate in the grind. <laughs> no, but uh, we didn't realize the actual size of the pod until the killing began. Somebody should have known better. Why? Why should someone have known better? It would have been a great hunt. They should be dancing around the fire, being happy that they have food for the rest of the year, thanks to this. But not in today's world. Not in today's world. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, Nassar testimony in front of uh, the Senate committee yesterday. I talked about it uh, a little bit yesterday, and it was frustrating for me because I wasn't listening to what they were saying. These girls were testifying, these gymnasts, and I was thinking, well, Nassar, why are we testifying now before the Senate committee? I mean, he's in prison forever. Right. I mean, he's, uh, the state's got him in jail for 170 some odd years and the feds have got him in jail for 60 or 70 years. I mean, it's a life sentence. The guy is and he's a dirtbag. No question. Big time dirtbag. So why are we testifying now? Well, I go back and I listened to some of this testimony last night and it is gut wrenching, gut wrenching. There's an eight minute speech by Michaela Maroney that is amazing if you have an opportunity to listen to it and i could i should probably just play the whole seven minutes it's seven minutes and 57 seconds for you because it is amazing uh and not amazing in a good way amazing in a horrific way she tells her story to this senate committee and tells what happened to her well she did speak out and nothing was done the fbi actually ended up lying after they finally did something and they were in they were in cahoots with the Olympic committee and the gymnastic committee and 
something needs to be done. I am really sick and tired of having stories come out almost weekly of how awful the FBI is. And it's been going on from top to bottom for a long time. Someone needs to go in and maybe the entire government just needs to go in and start from the beginning again. I mean, that's what we were hoping that Trump would do. He never did. He said he would, uh, you know, by, you know, drain the swamp, but uh, the swamp was not drained at all, but it is horrific what happened to these girls and in specific this Michaela Maroney. And I'm sure she's no different than the other girls. I just listened to her particular speech to the Senate committee. I don't know what's going to be done. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but if really the FBI and the people in charge of this investigation should be thrown in a jail cell right next to Nasser and the FBI should be investigated and start from scratch again for what they do and their vision and what they're supposed to be doing for the United States. Uh, it's supposed, it's just incredible what happened to these with young ladies and I don't know how they get past it. They, they struggle every day with it, with the horrors of what this, what Nasser did to him and how much of a struggle it's been since they reported it. And it then continued it's just incredible that this guy was not taken out in town square and stoned. Uh, just amazing. So I just wanted to go on record. I, I listen. I mean, it was just horrific and I understand now why these girls are speaking out again, because they did break through that wall of silence finally and report it. And she talked about being on a, a, a two or three hour phone call with the FBI and how badly it went because she covered everything. And at the end, the FBI agent was like, is that all? Is that it? Are we done? And then, you know, it goes to the bottom of the drawer. Just uh, incredible. They all should be, well, we'll, we'll just leave it at in prison and we'll say that's, you know, what should happen to them. Although a lot worse would be okay. And when I say all, I mean, from the FBI to the Olympic committee, to the gymnastic committee, to the universities, to anyone that was involved in this and knowingly covered it up, knowingly lied, either legitimately lied out loud or by just omission, should all face consequences. And what they did to these young women now, uh, to just for the sake of their abilities is, uh, amazing. Uh, just incredible how, how poorly these, these girls were treated and they were world-class athletes, but they were just young girls and they were mistreated and it was just horrific, just horrific. And it, it sickening, sickening that someone could let this happen. So any of people, any of you people involved and I'm sure you all listen to Chewing the Fat. Any of you people involved, <laughs> I hope you are worried about someone knocking on your door and dragging you out soon because it should happen. And completely unrelated to this, an estimated 176 million American adults who identify as Christian, just 6% of them 
which would be about, I don't know, 15 million out of the 176 million, actually hold a biblical worldview. That's just a new study from Arizona Christian University. Don't worry about it. Also, did you know that most Christians in the United States don't believe the Holy Spirit is real? <laughs> I'm sure it doesn't have anything to do with how these girls were treated with from the FBI, from the Olympic Committee, from the Gymnastic Committee. Nothing could be further from the truth. And by the way, just a thought. Uh, if you don't really believe that the Holy Spirit is real, and this is maybe, you know, again, it's just me, Jeff Fisher, chewing the fat. Maybe, maybe you're not really a Christian. <laughs> uh, it's just a thought, though. Just a thought. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go to the break room. I desperately need something to drink because I could get very angry quickly, and I don't want to. Gosh darn it, I don't want to. <laughs> That is tremendous. So quick space update. As long as we're here in the break room, I see where Inspiration4 blasted off uh, on its history-making journey into orbit. We talked a little bit about that uh, yesterday. And today I see where NASA has now awarded uh, $146 million. And the work is to be completed uh, during the next 15 months to uh, five separate companies because they want uh, they want these companies to develop landers for its Artemis moon program, okay? So, you know, they want to get to the moon surface and they want these landers developed. So Blue Origin, Federation of Kent, Washington, uh, you know, Bezos, gets $25.6 million. Dianetics of Huntsville, Alabama gets $40.8 million. Lockheed Martin of Littleton, Colorado gets $35.2 million. Northrop Grumman of Dallas, Virginia gets $34.8 million. And SpaceX, uh, they just get $9.4 million. What? Oh, how come they only get $9.4 million? Elon gets the bite the bullet with under $10 million for this? Please, we need to bump that up a little bit. I mean, what do they want him to fail? <laughs> I mean, they can't be mad at him, right? I see where <laughs> I see where he, you know, he's had trouble trying to get his Tesla, and I know this is separate from from SpaceX. I got it, okay. He's had problems setting up his Tesla sales buildings uh in states. States don't want Tesla to be able to set up his uh his selling cars directly to consumers to cut car dealerships out of the process. They're pissed. And so they don't want to let that happen. And so now uh, they've opened a store and repair shop on Native American land. Yeah, we'll just, you know what? We'll just use uh, Indian territory property and we'll open it there. So there, take that federal government and state governments who won't let me open on your lands. So he's going to use right now it's in uh, north of Santa Fe on tribal land, and he's not subject to any of the state laws. So take that. It could be coming to Texas very soon. <laughs> Just a bit of thinking about Elon there as he gets, uh, was he, he, got the, he got the axe on the NASA money awards for the contracts, under $10 million. And speaking of NASA, too, just another side note of NASA. You see, 
where Bill Nelson, former senator, former astronaut uh, Bill Nelson, he's now the NASA administrator. And uh, Bill Nelson has got to be, what, 100? We've been covered him before. He's, what, 100 now? That's right. He's the same age as uh, as uh, President Biden, 78 years old. He was, And he never wasn't that great of a senator anyway from Florida. But anyway, he's in charge of NASA. And this is the kind of leadership we have at NASA. So he was asked in an interview, so um, do you have a plan if the UAPs, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenons, which I believe they're looking at starting that program again through the Pentagon, do you have a plan? And he said, well, we really haven't crafted a plan for alien encounters, even though the agency has worked in tandem with researchers exploring the possibility of alien life and has sent messages into the universe on Earth's behalf. So you don't have a plan if a UAP turned out to be a space alien? No. Okay, why are you even in charge of NASA? Please. I mean, I'm hoping that it's just top secret and he just it's easier for him to say no than to say, well, we have uh, certain plans uh, in place if something were to happen. I can't talk about that here. Uh, you know, maybe it's just easier to look like you're an idiot and aren't thinking ahead as the head of NASA uh, for aliens. So it's easier to, to play dumb and say no. So it just shuts everything down. Because if he says he can't talk about it, then now you've got people digging around and trying to figure out, you know, what the plan actually is. So maybe, maybe I'll give him the benefit of the doubt at that, except that I don't really want to give him the benefit of the doubt. So we all loved seeing Madonna at the VMAs, uh, looking uh, great at 63. Mm. And, uh, but apparently, uh, fans did not. I mean, she was, I mean, every, the world was in love with her for showing up and being half naked, which, you know, that's what Madonna does. And I love her for it. Bless her heart. But, uh, Viacom CBS and MTV's parent network claims that the show increased reach, although they didn't say how they arrived at this conclusion because they you know of course that's internal digital data oh okay but we do know that uh, according to the uh nielsen ratings uh they plunged 17 percent in the key demo between 18 and 49 from 2020 and hit an all-time low in viewers of all ages so like nobody watched so i'm not sure where they get that increased reach Maybe with total minutes consumed, I guess. So you have, you know, two people that watch the whole thing, which boosts your numbers, I guess. But uh, nobody's watching the VMAs anymore because we don't care. Okay. The award shows are silly. I like them because I'm me, but I don't watch. <laughs> Very few do I watch. Very few. I love them. I love to see them. I love the pictures. I love how they all glad hand and suck up to each other, but I'm not. I'm not going out of my way to watch them. I'm sorry. I'm just not doing that. The only one, I guess, the Oscars and the Emmys I do kind of enjoy. And we have the Emmys coming up this weekend, as a matter of fact, with the great Cedric the Entertainer as the host. You see where Britney Spears has wiped her Instagram account? What's going on? Brit, what's happening? The Instagram is just gone. Uh, a message on the page read, user not found. I know it's over. 
Britt, what's going on? You're not over yet. You're not free from the conservatorship. I know you're engaged now and, you know, you're probably getting talked to that you need to straighten up a little bit. So you want to get those, you know, get those butt pics off of Instagram. <laughs> get those dancing videos off of Instagram. I got it. But just to have it go away. I mean, she had millions of followers. And so, okay. You're still going to want to be able to have a little money to survive on. I would think that's just me. Now she posted on Twitter. Don't worry, folks. Just taking a little break from social media to celebrate my engagement. Emoji with a ring, a winking smiley face, exclamation points. I'll be back soon. Emoji with red lips and a rose and a star. Okay. Uh, you know, great. Thanks, Britt. We, we appreciate it. How many followers does she have on Twitter? She only has 55.5 million followers on Twitter. Although she's following a lot. She's following 366,000 people. She doesn't follow me though. What's going on, Britt? I got to get Brittany on the phone. She doesn't follow at Jeffy JFR. Why not? Maybe because I don't follow her. Oh, okay. So follow me on Twitter at JeffyJFR, and I'm going to follow Brittany and see if Brittany follows me back because I want Brittany to follow me back on Twitter. I do. There's not a chance in hell of that happening, but I want it to happen. And maybe she'll come back on Instagram. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, You know, there's some, she's posted pics and vids on her Twitter account too that match up, you know, but those are usually matched up with the Instagram account. So. We'll see. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So Time Magazine has released the highly anticipated, and I'm sure you, like me, were part of the (laughs) highly anticipated crowd of the Time 100 list. I write the most influential people of the year from Time Magazine. Time 100, most influential people of 2021. And under icon status, Prince Harry and Meghan, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, of course, of course. Icon status continues on with uh, Naomi Osaka, Alexei Nelvani, yeah, he gets it. Britney Spears, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sherilyn Eiffel, okay. Dolly Parton, Shohei Otani, Kathy Park Hong, Luis Manuel Otero Alcantara. Nelson Soda, and some other people with names I can't pronounce. Okay, I'll say them, but it's going to be butchered. Uh, Manjusa P. Kulkarne, Russell Jong, and Cynthia Choi, and Muna El Kurd, and Mohammed El Kurd. Okay, well, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> Under Pioneers, Billie Eilish, Ben Crump, Addie Uterini, 
Sun Shushili, Felwin Saar and Benedict Savoy, Faith Burrell, Aurora James, Adar Punawala, Phyllis Omido, Franz Timmermans, Indira Mendoza and Claudia Spellman, Roger Cox, Olympia Caramello Cruz, Dorita Rida, and Esther Zina Bamval and El Thingsamont. <laughs> I don't know that that's the actual pronunciation for them, but I mean, for sure they're under that. Then Titans, Titans, Simone Biles. Yeah, she testified yesterday too, man. What this, that whole Larry Nasser thing has got me. What they did to these girls is, let alone what he did to them, what happened to them post that is agonizing. But anyway, Simone Biles is, you know, on the list under Titans. Uh, Tim Cook, Shonda Rhimes, Timbaland and Swizz Beats, Nicole, Nicole Hannah-Jones. Oh, my gosh. Tom Brady, Yoon Young-Jung, Allison Felix. Angelico Kijo, Kenneth C. Frazier, and Kenneth I. Cheneau, and uh, Louisa Shranjano. Under artists, Kate Winslet, yeah, no kidding, this year, Bad Bunny, Chloe Zhao, Jason Tsukitas. Uh, is that right, Jason Tsukitas? Is that how you pronounce his name? I don't know. And each one of these people have uh, their story told by other celebrities, and uh, Jason has his by Seth Meyers. Uh, Scarlett Johansson has hers by Jamie Lee Curtis. Lil Nas X, Jessica B. Harris, Bowen Yang, Tracy Ellis Ross, Mark Bradford. These are all under artists. N.K. Jemison, Stephen Young, Daniel Kaluuya, Omar Sy, Barbara Kruger, and Kane Brown. They are all under the, the artists. And then leaders. Wow. Uh, Ngozi Okanjo Awila. And Prince Harry and Meghan wrote about her. Oh, we got to see. What, who is Ngozi Adorno-Awila? Uh, let's see what she is. She is the first African and first woman to lead the World Trade Organization, a 164-member group of nations that oversees trade across the world. Okanya Awila took on the role of Director General this March as a watershed moment for our global health and well-being. Make no mistake, her job affects every person family, and community. Well, that is something special, isn't it? That is great. Congratulations to, to congratulations to, uh, to her. I mean, it means a, means a whole lot to me. I'll tell you that. Ngozi Okanjo Iwila. Then you have Joe Biden, of course. Joe Biden is in front of, uh, Jinping, uh, from China. I don't know that that makes a difference, but it's good that they're both side by side. Liz Cheney, Liz Cheney, Kamala Harris, Mario Draghi, Tucker Carlson, yeah, Naftali Bennett, Stacey Abrams, Stacey Abrams, she lost a race, and now she's this superstar, man. Congratulations to her, because shit is amazing how she has come out of that, man. Losing one race in the state of Georgia, and now she is a world-class, influential person. Wow. Uh, Nayib Bukli, Bukeli, I guess it's Bukeli. Uh, Donald Trump, yeah. Uh, Narendra Modi, Mobuba Sajjan, Joe Mancini, Ibram Rassi, Rochelle Walensky. Yeah, well, I mean, she's, wow, you talk about the worst. Mamata Banzari, Ron Klein, Alisa Longcon and Talia, uh, 
Abdul Ganhar Barada. Yeah, Abdul. Yeah, you're the you're the top, buddy. We love you. You know, if you don't know who Abdul is, he's an Afghani politician. Uh-huh. Right. Innovators, Jensen Huang, Elon Musk, Adrian Banfield, Norris, Willow Smith, Jada Pinkett Smith. Yeah, they're innovators. Caitlin Carrico, uh, Mary Barra, John Nikengasong, Mimi Ung, uh, Vitalik Buterin, uh, Via, Barney Graham, Frederick Otto and Gert Jean Van Oldenburg, Kengo Kuma, Sarah Menker, and uh, Lydia Maraska. They're all under the innovators. Congratulations to everyone on the time most influential 100 list for 2021. Very impressive, and it actually is. And uh, now you know. Uh, yeah, the more you know. And it's just from chewing the fat. The congratulations to time 100. And I just can't wait to see Megan and Harry on the cover, and it'll just be great. <laughs> Big day. Yesterday, they announced the new finalist for the National Toy Hall of Fame. And we have 12 new toys that could possibly go into the Hall of Fame. Christopher Bench, the man from the National Museum Toy Hall of Fame. How are you, Chris? Good to see you. It's great to be with you. And I'm thrilled to have these 12 toys coming up for possible induction. Okay, so people can vote on them, right? So we're looking at the toys now. These are the ones that people get to vote on for an opportunity to go into the hall, right? Right. We call it the Player's Choice Poll. And between now and September 22nd, this is your chance. Every day you can try to stuff the ballot box for the one of these that you <laughs> want to get into the hall. I get a vote a day? Yes, this is better nice. than other elections. Nice. That's fantastic. So the new toy, first, how many toys before I see, we have the new toys, uh, in front of you. So we'll go through the, uh, the new ones that could possibly go in. And, uh, some of them should, some of them should already be there. My gosh. <laughs> but how many toys have you now into, in the hall? There are 74 toys already inducted into the hall. Okay. And so people can go to the museum and play with the toys and everything, right? This is the, the museum, the hall of the hall of fame for the toys is part of the strong museum, right? Make sure I have, make sure I have that right. So we have a, a beautiful gallery where you can play with the toys. You can interact with them on screen in some really cool digital interactives. Uh, you can look into their history. You can see other examples. We've got biographies with their creators. It is so much fun. I love that. All right, so let's go through the latest uh, possible inductions into the hall and let people decide which ones they're going to vote for. So what do we have, Chris? Well, we've got a dozen finalists this year. Okay. I could only fit six of them on my cart. So we can talk about these first and then pick up with the other ones. Okay. So I brought a couple of the new inductees, uh, or the new finalists, I should say. Uh, one of them is this game. Oh, yeah, Set the Settlers. The Settlers of Catan, it was, was, was originally called. Now it is just going by the name Catan. And right. it 
It was such a breakthrough of a different type of playing in contrast to something like Monopoly, where someone goes away crying because they've been bankrupted. And I'm talking about the grownups here, not the kids. Catan challenged you to work cooperatively, to build a community, to work with resources on this uncharted island. It was a Euro-style game. It has helped change the world of tabletop gaming. I, right. It, it, I mean, it only took, I don't know, a week or two to finish the game. So <laughs> I, I understand. It's a fun game, though. It was a fun game. It was almost like Risk, you know, where you're right. building building the world, right? Yeah, right. it was fun. So Risk is right in front of me. Yeah. The toys of my personal childhood. And as you say, yeah. no Risk game in our household ever ended in a single <laughs> that right. set up. And you sort of want to just keep an eye that no one was moving your armies around as a little uh, behind-the-scenes subterfuge. That could never uh, happen. It's a product of the Cold War era. It came out in the U.S. in 1959, right when the U.S. and Soviet Union were headbutting, yeah. were going to dominate the world. This was your chance to reenact that on your own table. Yeah. That was fascinating. Okay. Uh, a new finalist this year is this world's smallest piñata, but something I didn't know about piñatas, associating them especially with Mexican culture, that's where lots of people think of them. Right. Piñatas got their start in China in the 13th century. Of course they did. They have been all over the world, not necessarily called piñatas, but some kind of animal or container or device that was full of other toys or treats right. that you whack with a stick. And it is sort of a toy that gives toys. And it is part of the diversity of play all over the world that is part of the National Toy Hall of Fame. Right. Very cool. Okay. Uh, this have, young lady here, if you were this. around in 1983, I wasn't, but go ahead. <laughs> maybe you remember when Cabbage Patch Kids, oh, my were, gosh. he must have toy of that holiday yeah, season. Absolutely. There were news stories about brawls in parking lots and that yeah. there weren't enough Cabbage Patch Kids to go around. They were white hot that year, but they have proven that they have what it takes to Day. They oh, are still yes, on the no market question. today. Uh, they are not the craze of the moment, but they are an enduring classic, and that's why they're one of the finalists for the National yeah. Toy Hall of Fame. So uh, then we have um, love this guy. also from the 80s, He-Man and Masters of the Universe. Yeah, wow, no kidding. So some people have done dope slaps. You mean He-Man isn't already in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> It was a synthesis of Saturday morning cartoon about He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, universe, yeah. so to speak, and also selling all the toys that Mattel was making. They made the show. They made the toys. Parents got a little cranky awesome. that it was a 30-minute ad for toys. But he's proven, again, he's got staying power. He is part of our popular yeah. Almost anyone would understand a reference to Skeletor today. They are right. just part of our language. And then this next one I find fascinating. That's something that you'd think would actually be in the hall, right? Right. I brought a teeny tiny, I'm going to recouple it here, toy fire engine. 
And certainly in 2020, we were newly mindful of the importance of first responders, whether that's yeah, of course. or people like firefighters. And it's a perfect year for the toy fire engine, whether that's a cast iron one from the 19th century or a more modern plastic one like I'm holding here today. Yeah. They've been great playthings for oh my gosh forever. I mean, every, every for right, every kid's had a fire engine, whether it's large or smaller, one that you sat on and rode around the yard right. on, whatever. Yeah, our version, right? Fantastic. Yeah. All right. So one of the one of the toys that you don't have that are on the list, I'm a little disappointed. By the way, Chris, uh, I wanted to see the corn popper. Okay, okay. that annoying thing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that's not already in the hall. It's its second time as a finalist. The That's what I thought. Yeah, I thought we talked about it before. Yeah. Yeah. And it is perfect developmentally for early walkers. Kids who are toddlers, they're learning to walk. They are it's, motivated by driving their parents insane with the popping absolutely. balls inside the Fisher-Price corn popper. Absolutely. The corn popper is a must-have to annoy parents. You have to have that. You must have that. Okay, so what's, what's left in the... Uh, in the uh, in the list well if you want to talk about really old toys sand is not only prehistoric sand goes back in geologic times wow. so sand is something people have been playing with whether that's in a sandbox whether that's sand castles on the beach whether it's therapy sand that therapists use for various different purposes so I so I can vote on, you, you put that in as a voting it, thing it, this year, sand, really? Right, right. Isn't that I, just an overall thing? Well, I hear every year from the people who think dirt, rocks, sand, right. snow, water, all I of mean, those. Those are the oldest toys in, on the planet, right? I mean, you've got, look at this rock, it's from 10,000 years ago. This used <laughs> to be tossed into those hole. Yeah, I know, I got it. They, I, I understand that, but sand, I mean, I guess we've, we definitely have all played with it, no question. Right, right. <laughs> it is accessible in so many ways. Yeah. I okay. bring it because I was afraid I would knock over my bucket of sand on my cart <laughs> and have it <laughs> up right in front of you. Right. That's all good. All right. What's left? Uh, the game Battleship. It started as a paper and pencil game. It became really famous in the 60s with Milton Bradley's plastic version. Yeah. Head-on-head -head strategy game. I love Battleship. I'm surprised that's not in already, to be honest with you. That's a good game. Exactly. And I, I mean, when you have Battleship and Risk and uh, Settlers of Catan now, I mean, those are three strong games. Right. That, uh, you know, should, I mean, they almost should all be in it. Right. And I'm confident they will all get in eventually. We have one more game this year, and that is the game Mahjong. That oh, yeah. stated in China. Gosh. It became a craze in the U.S. in the 1920s. It is still played widely yeah. in the U.S. and around the world. And oh it gosh, is. there was uh, we were hooked on that in my house for oh. a number of years. Yeah, I mean, love that stupid game. And then, and what about? Okay, so is backgammon in the hall? It is not in, but dominoes are. If we're thinking about okay, tile games and some yeah, other yeah, things, yeah. But backgammon should be in. Yeah. Uh, hello. <laughs> What's happening? All right, so if I want to vote, is there anything else? Did we miss any of the toys? Well, let's see. Let me look at my list here. Did I miss any? Oh, certainly American Girl Dolls, another product oh, like wow, that. wow, yeah. From the mid-1980s. Different style, but Huge. what was so, so great about them was the history books that came along with those characters. Yeah, I mean, they and they were 
like kind of uh, the larger version of the Barbie, right? Where you had to have the, the outfits and everything to go with them. Amazing. You can accessorize them to know. Yes. Thank you. I apologize for not calling them accessories. <laughs> One more thing. Billiards for grown-ups. Pool. Billiards. That table game oh, wow. is something I hadn't really thought about it. It's an indoor version of what was croquet or bocce. Right. And that's right. part of why it's played on that green-covered table. It's not on grass anymore. It's still on green. Right. It's miniaturized a bit so that you can have that competitive ball target game indoors. That's incredible. Mean, is is croquet in it? Is croquet it's in the not. hall? So oh my gosh, Chris, we've got this, this. That's a that's a travesty. That has to be uh, that has to be taken care of immediately. You're All in right. charge. You're in charge of collections. Make that happen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so is uh, another game. You know, I was thinking you think about. Uh, uh, Games like that. Uh, what about um, remember the game called um, Skittle, where oh, you yeah. uh, you know you toss the ball around the stick and it knocks down the bowling right. pins or the pins or whatever. If you tell me that's not in the hall, Chris, it's I'm good. Not in the hall. <laughs> We've got examples in the five hundred thousand items in the museum's collection, <laughs> but not yet in the hall. So uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the museum as well. But when people want to, where do they have to go to vote for? Uh, their favorite toys. Sure. The place to go is toyhalloffame.org. So that's the easy place to go for the player's choice poll. Okay, cool. And I mean, they can obviously uh, follow, follow you guys on uh, uh, museum of play on Twitter and the strong museum on Facebook. And uh, you'll, you know, that will lead you along as well. And I'm sure there's a link there that will take you to the, uh, museumofplay.org to vote for the for the toys this year, right? Okay, so three of these go. Three, three will of these be get in, in on right? November 4th. On November 4th. And we'll have the big announcement. I'll love to have you back and talk about the the voting and the three uh you know that gets in this year. Absolutely. I I, I love it. So how a couple things. How has uh how's it going at the museum? I know you know we obviously uh, all suffered uh you know pandemic level uh, catastrophes of the last two years. Uh, I'm since I've been 18 months, Jeff. Okay, I got it. Um, so how's how's it going? It is great. We have been reopened to the public. We were closed for three months in the spring yeah. of 2020, but we have been ramping up our attendance ever since. Uh, we've been a very safe environment with the appropriate social distancing, with new HVAC systems. Got to be tough with the toys. The yeah, good. It's got to uh, be tough though. It is, and we're big enough that people can spread out and have a great time under lots of different circumstances. Okay, so good. we're still below our 2019 numbers, but we are certainly, especially through the summer, we're welcoming big crowds of people who are all having a great time. Excellent. We're talking with uh, Christopher Bench, uh, Vice President of Collections for the uh, Toy Hall of Fame and the uh, Strong Museum. Uh, so what's the oldest... Toy. We talked about rocks and sand as, you know, toys, but officially, what's the oldest toy that you have at the museum? Oh, well, actual, the example that is oldest probably goes back to some really early leather toys that were fought, found in the River Thames in wow. England, uh, a leather ball, a uh, metal top. 
Um, so some of those really basic things, a problem for us as museum curators is loads of those things just got used up. Kids play right. death and they don't necessarily survive to get passed down to the grandkids, to go to a museum, eventually, all that kind of thing. But they're in stories, right? I mean, so we know that they existed. I mean, they're they're in, you know, novels and actual history right. books, so we know that they existed. Right. And certainly, playthings like marbles go back to basically ancient times. They were clay right. marbles. They weren't glass marbles like ours. Uh, there were also toys very much like what we would call jacks. Sometimes those were animal vertebrae that think of oh, if you yeah. cook chicken soup and that chicken backbone makes yeah. spiny things to have a game <laughs> pick up as you bounce a ball. You're going to play with that chicken bone and get out of the house. That's what's going to happen. You're going to get out of the cave and play with that bone. That's what you're going to do. So uh, how difficult as you know, you're in charge of collections. So are you, uh, how difficult is it to travel the world and try to acquire these, especially in today's world with so many museums and you guys obviously are a museum as well, but, uh, how diff how much difficulty do you have acquiring these? Certainly old things are really tough to acquire. What few survive are already in museums or private collections. Yeah. Uh, we are constantly competing if it comes to auctions against deep pocketed private <laughs> collectors who are very determined, we were just bidding on some pinball machines that were going for astronomical prices more than our budget or what they were truly right. worth seemed to be. So, I mean, people could actually, you know, perhaps purchase these and donate them to the museum, right? We are always open to that. We have acquired more than 7,000 new items for the museum's collection this year. Wow. Many of those through generous donations like you're talking about. So we are constantly growing our collection. So if I found something, let's say, you know, in my garage, I could, you know, donate it for cash, right? <laughs> <laughs> we always love to see photos from people. That's one of the brilliant oh, that's parts a good of, one. Yeah. of email and digital images that it isn't just a phone call saying I have a great such and such we can actually see what you're talking about and make a more informed decision on whether it's something that fits so does the museum have and I'm sure you're going to say why don't you just come to the museum Jeff and shut up uh, does the museum have uh, photos speaking of that do people would do people have people donated say photos of their family or their friends or old photos, you know, when, you know, back in the, the, the black and white days of playing games that you can look at at the museum? We do. And you can look at it right from your electronic device. If you go to the Museum of Play website, go to the collections section, there is a whole segment there called People at Play, one of our main oh, that is cool. that shows from those black and white photos from 1850. Yeah to current digital photos. What I think is great that rather than basically having to steal something out of people's family albums, now they can share their digital image with us and you don't have to give it right. up. You are just giving a digital copy to the museum. And you're not and, and so, you're not giving that hard copy up anyway. You're you're donating it to the museum, which is going to be used and shared with millions of people over the next centuries. Exactly. It is for the general good.
Like I've got to find. I've, I want to donate a picture of a game so that I'm on the I'm in the Toy Hall of Fame or at the museum. Anyway, that has to happen. Christopher Bench, thank you so much from the Toy Hall of Fame, and I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy. I'll let you go, but I appreciate your time and thank you very much for joining us here on Two in the Fat. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.